Hey friends, wow, it has been a hot minute of all minutes. I really won't go into detail on why, but I took a big fat hiatus and we're coming back. On the coming back note, I think it might be interesting to do a couple episodes with somebody just to hear them or to have like an actual partner in this. So if you're interested in that or have any feedback, hit a bitch up. I got rid of the Instagram for this, so it's just me. It's just at prettyfarts underscore Instagram. That's my shit. It'll be all uploaded. I've started an Etsy store as well, so all of that is kind of under my own little roof, and I hope to hear from you guys soon. On another episode of Cops, Please Do Your Jobs, and Men Stop Killing Women, uh, we're going to chat about Ebby Stepich. I think it's Stepich or Stepich. I'm not sure. Ebby's case is one that I've put off. It feels super close to me. Uh, not only did I live a very transient life as a teen and led a similar life to Ebby at the time, I was also assaulted, trigger warning, at a high school party and had it recorded without my knowledge. It was 08 and flip phones were, thank God, blurry and shitty. Um, but what happened in the video was not was told as <laughs> fact. And uh, the video was passed around my peers. I didn't find out until after high school. Um, and I also didn't realize it was assault at the time because we were kind of taught to believe that everything is our fault as women. But anyway, let's talk about her. Evie was a vibrant 18-year-old and a very, very bold teenage girl. She lived a tumultuous short life. She was from Little Rock, Arkansas, and she lived there her whole life, never really moved. She was described as being 5'2", 110 pounds, having green eyes, and warm-toned auburn hair. Her last known date of life, I guess, is October 24th, 2014, so this is pretty recent, and it is absurdly unsolved. On the night of October 23rd, Ebby attended a routine party with some of her acquaintances. Sometime at the party, Ebby claims <clears throat> was, we'll get into that, Ebby's claims are that she was raped. She said four men had been involved and she was forced into the encounter pretty much for fear of her safety. She also mentioned that it had been recorded without her consent and she went to the police to try and get some justice. However, Ebby would go missing for over three years. All right, so let's get into some background here. Ebby Stebich was born on March 31st, 1997 to a Lori and Peter Jernigan. Her stepfather, Michael Jernigan, seems to have been in her life from early years, so it's to be assumed that her parents divorced pretty soon after having Ebby. She had an older brother, Trevor, as well, and a younger sister, Harris. All awesome names. Uh, 10 out of 10. Lori, great job. <laughs> Evie's teen years were spent, again, slightly transient. Um, she attended charter schools, which are like very specific high schools, usually to a trade, before transferring to Central High School in Little Rock during her senior year. She planned to attend cosmetology school after graduating. Um, ding, ding, ding. Something that I also did, but I fucking dropped out. Yeah. <laughs> at the time, she was also working at Foot Locker in the mall, and she made a couple friends through work as well. She was super independent from the get-go, and she stayed with friends for weeks at a time during high school, and she just didn't find her home with her parents to be adequate in whatever way she viewed. I also did this as a teen, um, if you're one of those people. Hey, thank you so much. I would never go home. However, I had 
a tumultuous home life. I'm not sure the reason for Ebby. Maybe she just wanted her independence. Um, she seemed to spend some time at her grandfather's and grandparents as well. Her parents really didn't address the hyper-independence because they wanted to give her space. And people in Ebby's life recall this time as, you know, when she transferred high schools and, you know, got the job to kind of be an odd time for her. She started seeing a new boyfriend at the new school and it wasn't the nicest high school in the area, kind of known for having fights and problems and just really not up-to-date equipment. It was just not like the nicest high school. Again, her parents kind of wanted to give her space and let her do her thing. So on October 21st, this is 2014, she skipped school and told her friends that she just wanted to get away from the drama for a few days. Walk away, yay, yay. If you know that reference, Godspeed. Um, her friend didn't really know what she meant by get away from the drama because there wasn't any. However, the party hadn't happened yet, so there might have been drama that we didn't really know about. We're going to be talking about the night that the party took place. So we're in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's October 23rd, and Ebby had attended a house party. Um, couple of acquaintances, it wasn't any mention that any of her super close friends were there. However, at the party, four men coerced her into a room, drugged her, and raped her. They also filmed it without her consent. The next day, Ebby woke up, obviously livid, confused. Ebby immediately texted her stepfather, Michael, and told him what happened. She gave her stepfather the names of the two boys she actually knew, because some she didn't, and she had plans to go to the police. She texted the men and told them that her plans were to go to the police, like, fuck you, I'm going to turn you in. And that's exactly what I would have done. There were two one-minute phone calls that were made to the Little Rock Police Department. However, the police department claimed they have no records of this, which I find odd because um, clearly they just haven't given a shit to check or they're lying. But we'll get into the corruption later on. Later on that same day, Ebby's stepfather, Michael, called her and said to meet him at her grandparents' house, where she was staying at the time, kind of in the interim. She didn't pick up her phone, so he left her a voicemail and decided to meet her anyway. He thought that even if her phone was dead, she would go home because that's where she lived, so he would meet her there eventually anyway. So her car wasn't there when he arrived, and neither was she. Uh, when Michael asked the parents where the fuck she was... The grandparents were like, I, I don't know. She told me she was leaving to meet you. So clearly, Ebby had other plans, or she never got her stepfather's voicemail, indicating to meet her there in the first place. Michael had a sinking suspicion that Ebby had approached the men herself. So now we have Michael at the grandparents' house, just missing Ebby like ships in the fucking night, and she told the grandparents she was off to do something else. Ebby's family members and friends were starting to get really worried, but no one received any response from her. And finally, at 2 p.m. on October 25th, so this is the next day. So October 23rd was the party. She spent the 24th kind of telling everybody around her what happened. And the next day, the 25th, Ebby's brother Trevor managed to briefly get a hold of her. He said she was parked outside of his house and... Then Trevor immediately ran outside, but Ebby wasn't there, and her car wasn't there, she wasn't parked there, nothing was there. Confused as all hell, he ran back inside and called Ebby. She said she didn't know where she was, and quote-unquote, she sounded like she was fucked up. She sounded really disoriented, slurring her words, and didn't know where she was, but thought she was at her brother's house. After the phone disconnected, 
Trevor called the police immediately. The police didn't really take their claim seriously. They said that Abby was 18 years old and she was an adult, which is true. Um, however, the fact that she was in high school, I feel like she should have been treated a little bit more like a missing person, but they listed her as a runaway. Even though Ebby also didn't have any history of running away, the police didn't really care. This podcast in particular has turned me into like the ACAB person I am, even though it was there a little bit more. Get ready to get super frustrated at some cops who don't do shit for work. Ebby's family again demanded that she be reported missing. Although she was kind of in between houses, she, again, never ran away. It wasn't in her character. She was really, really good at communicating. Shockingly, again, the cops didn't do anything, so she continued to be listed as a runaway. The family, however, said, fuck that, and they conducted their own search, which honestly is really badass, but also really scary. A few days after the search, Abby's white Volkswagen Passat was found in Chalamont Park. Now, they didn't search Chalamont Park right after her disappearance, but they did search around the area. And when the police arrived, they found Ebby's car suspiciously out of gas, um, batteries dead, keys in the ignition, and all doors unlocked. Her stuff was in her car too, which is more than usual given her usual kind of go about lifestyle. Um, things like her makeup bag, her phone charger, like shit a teenage girl doesn't leave the home without. And the police still didn't consider her a missing person at all, because to them, there were no signs of foul play. They did search the area, however, they did a pretty piss-poor version of a search. To cherry on top of their stupidity, um, the police actually left the trunk of Ebby's car open, and it would rain for the next week, washing away priceless answers from the trunk in and around her car. For three years, there was radio silence on her case. The family created a Facebook group that's still active today, and they're pretty good about posting updates about Ebby's case. The family also independently hired a private investigator named Monty Vickers. Honestly, that's gotta be like the greatest name ever. That's gotta be a picked name. No one's named that cool as a baby. Like no baby walks up to you and was like, hey, I'm Monty Vickers. Like, no, that's, a, I don't, I don't believe it. <laughs> Um, but Monty acted as the messenger between the family and the police pretty perfectly because before his pseudo-semi-retirement now, in 2014, he was a former detective with the Little Rock Police Department. Now we're going to jump ahead a little bit to the winter of 2016. Ebby went missing in the fall of 2014, and essentially after three months she was just listed as a runaway, still not listed as a missing person. By this time, the family had a lot of evidence collected by Monty Vickers, and they spent the, the year in between just getting every last string they could, you know, woven together. So in the winter of 2016, the volunteers conducted searches for Ebby again, the, a lot of the same people that did the first time she went missing. But they did this in the area in the woods near where her car was found, and it's called Markham and Boehm. The police searched themselves in this area in November of 2016, so right before. But the volunteer team found a bag of clothes, handcuffs, and a shoe, and a bone. However, it was actually deemed to be that of an animal, so the bag of items was ruled out not related. Essentially, they found nothing. It was a super heart-wrenching lead. Like, they thought they found evidence that she had run away, evidence that she had taken a bag of clothes, and it turned out to not be anything related to her. So 
I can't imagine that kind of like rush and then just defeat after. All right, we're going to jump back in the timeline just about a year. So winter 2016, and I'll put up a timeline, they searched her car, but in 2015, the year after Ebby went missing, the family went to the media because they felt like nobody else was listening to them because they weren't. They actually went on Dr. Phil and they had an episode about Ebby and raised the reward money from, I think, five to 10000 to 50 fucking thousand dollars for any information on her. They especially highlighted like how little a priority this was to Little Rock Police Department and how much they didn't view this case as a priority. And the police did receive a lot of tips from the Dr. Phil show, but no leads. However, their private investigator, Monty Vickers, kept digging. And there was surveillance footage around Cantrell Road, which is near the Walmart area in the west of Little Rock near the park. The police never asked for this. This was never released. So we have no idea if the footage even captured her at all. And those cameras are set to erase pretty soon. Nothing was found from those either. However, the way that her car was found is shocking. So there are people who regularly live in that area near Charlemont Park and between kind of Cantrell Road back there. And there had been multiple reports of an abandoned car. And these were reports coming from a security guard. And the security guard had officers finally come to the car and ask them why they had never really, you know, come to fucking see it. And they just kind of shrugged them off as whatever. So in the initial search of the car, the car's location was actually found by a security guard. And that security guard, I have his name down here somewhere. He called the police department three or four different times to say like, hey, there's a car here and nothing was really reported. The cops never got back to him. Finally, they did. And when they came to initially search her car, they said that, you know, have you seen anything? Have you seen anything around? And the security guard was like, yeah, I've seen a girl. I, I think she owns this car. Like I've seen her three times. And he said that there was two men with her and she loudly asked them to leave. Um, and then they left and came back. And the second time there was only one man in the backseat of the car. And then the last time she came back, there were no men with her. And the, of course, the security guard can't be 100% certain that it was her, but the coincidences would be enormous. Oh, yes, here we go. The security guard was named Guy Hooper, who just sounds like, that sounds adorable. Not only did he have to call the police department multiple times and two days in a row, the actual push came because neighbors and passerbys were calling the police about the car because they were like, hey, this car, this car is on a missing flyer. I think it's right here. And the police just dragged their feet taking their time. So the two boys who were named by Ebby were investigated, but the police, quote unquote, found nothing. Again, they were investigating two boys about what they marked as a runaway and seeing that they didn't really take Ebby's case seriously. I'm not surprised they didn't attempt to search either of the men's phones for the video of Ebby or any evidence whatsoever. And they just took their word at face value and let them leave. Yeah. The police also claimed that they had no way of accessing Ebby's social media or phone information, which is literal bullshit and doesn't make any sense because those warrants could be very easily granted. And um, maybe not easily, but you could try. Come on. The police also finally, I think because the family went to the media, moved the case to the Violent Crimes Division. 
Um, it was still marked as a runaway and not a missing person um, until it got assigned a detective. And the tensions were very, very high to be, you know, expected between the Arkansas Police Department and the family and Vickers. It was, it was getting a little rough. And Monty Vickers uncovered a lot about Ebby that the police didn't. <laughs> um, he, and he actually felt so passionately about this case that he ended up charging the family a dollar for everything. And he found the following. Again, the security guard who reported the car missing, his name, Guy Hooper, um, he found that her bank cards weren't used at all. So clearly she hadn't been traveling. And she found the texts that we now know were sent to the boys threatening to go to the police about the rape. Um, Vicar searched the area near the boy's home and found nothing. Um, he also spoke to police about his findings and included that he was going to contact a security guard himself. Uh, the police was like, okay, fine, go ahead. And they were like, yeah, 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 we talked to him. And Vickers was like, are you sure? Because he, he's, he didn't talk to you. And the police were like, no, 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 we vetted him. So Vickers set up the initial meeting with the security guard. Um, this was about nine months after Ebbe disappeared. And the security guard said, no, the cops never tried to contact me. I, I was never investigated at all. This is also how he learned that he had to call multiple times to get them to actually come investigate the car in the first place. The cops, like, they don't even have the ball to drop it. The family finally met with police chief uh, via Vickers, and the police again just reiterated that they had no probable cause to search the accused boy's phones at all, and they clearly disagreed with each other. Investigators doubling down, and they actually decided to throw blame at the stepfather, Michael, kind of pseudo-accusing him of being involved. Like, why are you trying to CNS mark this as a missing person so bad? Are, did you do it? Are, are you are you part of it? And if you weren't already frustrated, you're about to get even more frustrated. So strap in, babies. Okay, so now we're going to live in the timeline for the rest of uh, the episode from May 2016. So around this time, the case was given to a brand new investigator and finally marked a missing person, and the investigator's name was Tommy Hudson. Uh, again, they began investigating the case as a missing person, and the family ha handed out tons of flyers with <laughs> all the information, I'll post the pics, um, and they updated the Facebook all the time. They were like, they would not stay quiet about this. And the investigators finally decided to ping Abby's phone for a location, um, but they initially pinged the wrong phone number. Yeah. So for the first few hours, they didn't even have the correct information that they were using. <laughs> um, they would also wait a few days to tell the family this. Um, after finally correcting this and pinging the correct phone number, it showed that her phone was beep, beep, beep in Chalamont Park, where her car was located. So this is around um, summer of 2017, and at this point, Lori, her mother, is pissed. So she got an attorney and personally went for the police chief, contacted the governor, the mayor, many others. With all the bad PR that the police was receiving and were refusing to comment, someone called the FBI and they offered to investigate the case. However, the Little Rock Police Department barely accepted this offer and continued shoving their thumbs up their ass and saying that they've done nothing wrong. Monty Vickers handed over all of his information to the FBI almost immediately without even having to be asked. 
The family continued to, like, push those flyers, seek warrants. They really wanted to look at the boys' phones, and the police countered this by asking the family to take lie detectors tests, again, accusing Michael, the stepfather, of being involved. The family was grossly offended, as they should be, and chose not to take a lie detector test. I know I haven't really talked about them a lot on the podcast, but I have a, I have a lot of opinions about lie detector tests. As somebody who lives with chronic anxiety, um, I sleep maybe four or five hours a night and I'm constantly like I have a buzz. Um, I'm nervous all the time and I've never taken a lie detector test, but I do know that they're quite, um, they can't be used in court and they're quite just not right all the time. They're not, they're not consistent. So if I was ever involved in something and asked to take a lie detector test, I would turn it down because I know that I'm such a nervous person that it would spike like every time something moved in the room. But Monty Vickers was getting a little bit sick in 2017. He was just older and he had been working in the case for so long. And this was two years after Ebby vanished. So Vickers kind of passed the baton over to a private investigator named TJ Ward. And he's actually hot shit. He worked for many high profile cases, stuff um, with women who are sex trafficked. Um, and this was viewed at the time as a really high probability because the family had received emails stating that Ebby was sold for $25,000 on the dark web. Um, they were debunked, obviously, but given that she was, you know, petite, young, blonde, she was very, um, very well could have been a target for sex trafficking. The original detective, Tommy Hudson, who worked her case after the fuck up, had retired in early 2018, and he met with the current private investigator, TJ Ward. They shared all the info they had, even though it wasn't a lot, and they agreed on one thing. <laughs> Not all leads were explored, hardly if any. Vital information was lost by not getting any warrants for the phones and by making the entire car a flooded mess the day after. Now that he was retired, he had a lot more time to explore these, so he took it upon himself to kind of explore it pro bono as his retirement. And in early 2018, Ebby's case was also featured on Nancy Grace, which low-key, Nancy Grace is a bad bitch. I like, I, I was being a, a judgeroo, but look her up. Nancy Grace is a fucking cool bitch. Um, <laughs> I'm going to post kind of a short clip of what that sounded like. Ebby's step disappeared in October 2015, but no one has come forward with information. Well, she is still missing, and that is why her family announced today they're increasing the reward to $50,000. We believe there are people out there that were with her day or day or two prior to her disappearance that may have information about what happened to her or who she was with. The case moved to a cold case squad with four retired homicide detectives. A lot of mistakes were made, things were missed, and... When the Homicide Squad got the case, they had to start all over. Start over from day one. They're following new leads, working in conjunction with the FBI. I'm 100% confident that it's being worked. It's being worked hard. Missing, but not forgotten. Okay, I'll clean that up in post, but that was essentially the vibe for the Evie Stebich disappearance. Everybody was on the side of the police botched this. It could have and should have been solved quickly. So after the Nancy Grace show, I guess, premiered, Lori also filed an official complaint with the Little Rock Police Department, and these were really serious allegations. She accused three specific police members um, of sending her threatening text messages, having yelled at her face during questioning, refusing to update her on the case, just general things a mother would want. 
Within the first week as well, they refused to update her at all. She had recordings and chain emails to back it up. She wasn't fucking around. And she waited because she really, really feared the police would retaliate or worse if she came forward. Because they weren't taking her daughter's case seriously and they were acting like she was crazy. They were gaslighting the fuck out of her. Anyway, the police investigators investigated themselves and shocker found insufficient evidence of mistreatment. Oh, fuck ups. For the celebration of Ebby's first birthday, and at this point she was officially a missing person, the family held a fundraiser for Ebby to try and get the information out there about her case. And in spring of 2018, the retired Tommy Hudson sent out kind of like a media brief and stated that they had more than enough evidence to search and research the area of Shalamont Park. Investigators in his unit, in his little like home, home unit, private investigator unit, ran through as many scenarios as they could about what possibly happened to Abby, and they came to the conclusion that her car and the area around it was not properly searched. Water's wet. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so we finally have Abby's case as a missing person, presumed homicide. We have the cold case unit led by the second detective, Tommy Hudson and TJ Ward, teaming up with the FBI, and because the initial police fucked it up entirely, researching the area where her car was found. And this was in May of 2018. The cold case unit officially searched the area of Shalamont Park based on the reinvestigation done by Tommy Hudson. They searched tough-to-reach areas by using drones and cameras, as well as ground-penetrating radar, so they were trying to get everywhere in the area. And in the search of the park, skeletal remains were located in a drainage pipe smack dab in the middle of the triangulated search area. The search was immediately stopped and the family notified. Now, they got a crime scene. The pipe was only 50 feet from where Ebby's car was located, and the remains were examined and positively ID'd as Ebby. Now, let's take a deep breath. This girl's body was found not 10 feet from where her memorial was the entire time, not 50 feet from her car. Knowing what we know now about the investigation, uh, let's all prepare to get a lot more angry. After the news broke that Abby's remains were found, many others, most notably Abby's friend Kaylee and her mom Margie, went to the Shalamont Park, like, right after she was missing, because they were like, fuck this, we want to find her friend. So they conducted their own search. This is, like, that initial family search. And they reported that they smelled decomposition. They reported, like, not like, oh, this smells like garbage. They reported a specific smell. Uh, they reported it to 911, and multiple times detailing that it smelled like something specific, smelled like decomp, smelled like it didn't smell right. And they passed her off as just smelling a dead animal. So Margie was really pissed. Now this is Margie's, you know, or her friend's mom. And she called Detective Williams, like the original detective who, who didn't do shit at the time because we didn't have any other detective. So she called the one assigned and he told her literally to stop bothering him and it wasn't anything. She called more than three times and officially officers did show up at Shalamont Park. And they told her the park had been searched by dogs and that the dogs did their job and she's not here. The officers kind of looked around with flashlights and again told her she was smelling dead sewage or a dead animal. Can you imagine? 
Can you fucking imagine your friend going missing? You and your mom are like, all right, let's go look for her. The next day in the park, you're like, something smells like fucking not right. You think smells like decomposition. Then you call the cop and the cop's like, that's the dead animal. And you're like, dude, I think it's my fucking friend's dead body. And the cop's like, no, it's not. And then you find out three years later that it was, that you were standing 10 feet from her, that you were smelling her rot. Oh my God, what the fuck? <laughs> all of the evidence lost in that car, all of the evidence lost with her body. Three years, Abby was waiting in that drainage pipe for clues and answers as to who her killers were, and they were washed away directly because of the police. Oh boy. So this was kind of a quickie, but that is the finale. Abby was super bright vivacious um really intense definitely is not a shocker to anybody that she would go up to the boys and kind of say hey what the fuck i'm gonna i'm gonna go to the cops there's been a lot of theories online um i actually got a lot of really really good sources one particular about a year ago from um blue john quill um an article uh, i guess an article written on reddit um, about the Stebbage case. And there's a couple people on Reddit who are claiming to have direct ties with it. Again, I have no idea if this is actually bullshit or if this is for real. But there are a lot of rumors that somehow Ebby's um, perpetrators, killers, rapists were somehow tied to the police. Like their father may have been in the police department and covered it up. There's also a lot of rumors that that same town had that same group of boys rape a girl earlier in the year. Um, so it's not like it's something that hasn't happened in this town. Um, and apparently there are a lot of people who said that they saw her getting in the van with the boys and, and kind of running away, but they thought that, you know, I mean, she was friends with them. There was no, like, um, there was, she wasn't co coerced into the van or anything. And the rumor is that, um, the, the guys went to just beat her up and just kind of like scare the shit out of her, scare her out of going to the police, and she accidentally died during it, which is horrific. Um, I definitely think that she was killed by the boys who raped her. Um, I would love to see some justice for this case. It is something that, like, the first time I heard this, I had to, like, sit down because I was like, how the fuck was this not me? And and I'm, I'm not much uh older than she was i think it's about five or six years so it definitely is in the same timeline of events um of things that could have happened um i also got a lot of really good sources Ooh, yeah murder squad obviously um <laughs> true crime garage obviously um a website called stories of the unsolved um this one is a really good article written on ebby as well as um True Crime Daily. They had a couple of really good articles. Obviously, this is one of those cases that has so many nuggets of evidence, and you could honestly spend your lifetime wondering what evidence she had on her, what was washed away, what was in the car, and you wonder that the police investigation botched it so badly, but did they botch it on purpose? If one of their sons or one, someone close to their sons had perpetrated this, it would behoove them to not investigate it. I'm disgusted. <laughs> I need to make a case soon where, like, the cops do their job and catch somebody because I'm getting really angry after my trees <laughs> and after Ebby. Um, but thank you guys for waiting. Um, I know it's been a really long time since I did an episode, and I know these are kind of short, but I really enjoy them. So if you want to keep listening to horrible shit, keep chatting. 
Thank you so much. Love you. Bye. Bing. <laughs>